So good morning, everyone. I'm still getting to know all of you, and I appreciate the fact that we've had so much coming at us this morning. Um, So I just ask that if you just hang with me a little bit. I have been praying about this. I often, I don't take this opportunity lightly at all. I understand that God puts us in places and positions to to share what's in our heart and what he's placed in our heart. And so I really hope that this is timely. I feel like it really is, especially when we were in the prayer room before um, Mal was praying about um, stepping out of the boat and how um, everyone was kind of having different words about stepping out and and really reaching this year for what God has for us as a congregation and as individuals as well. And I just feel like this is kind of a part of that. It's kind of like a really good start to the new to the year. Well, I hope it is anyway. So I want to start with Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, or Levi, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. We read that so many times through scripture that Jesus just says, follow me. And they just get up and follow him. And it seems, and I don't know about you, but sometimes you kind of skip through that and go, cool, they follow Jesus and life went on. But it's actually quite a powerful thing when you think about it. And the last week I've been really thinking and praying and contemplating, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? It was like a simply follow me and they just did. Two men. went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves, Adulterers, or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. Matthew, come. His name was Levi. So if you imagine a tax collector, you know, he was probably really good with money, 
probably really good at accountancy, which I'm really not. Good at record keeping, good with numbers, methodical. He probably had a really good job where he earned a good living. He served for the Romans. Um, It was probably a prestigious job. And yet he knew he was despised as well by those that he was taking the money from. Tax collectors were also known for doing a little bit of wrongdoing and perhaps overcharging and putting some in their own pocket. So it wasn't just that he was despised for his job, but also perhaps some of the things that some of his practices. I'm sure he would have seen Jesus walking around. It was a village, so he would have heard and seen some of the things Jesus was saying and doing. And he would have, I'm sure, reflected and realised who he was, really who he was. And so when Jesus said, come, I don't personally think it was just he just got up and came. I think he'd had spent a bit of time reflecting and realising who he was and that he needed Christ. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he needed to turn. He made himself vulnerable and then followed Christ. He knew that he needed grace, God's grace, his mercy and his forgiveness. So getting up would have been a huge sacrifice for him. You can only imagine, you know, he's leaving a job where he's earning money, where he's wealthy and he's going to follow Jesus. We know what those people did. They walked heaps and they had to bring food out of nothing. And it was, you know, it was a hard job. Um, Often moving from town to town, places where you don't know people. Um, And also then victimised for following this man, Jesus. So it was a huge sacrifice for Levi to do that. Yet at the same time, it would have been, we, we know it was such a blessing for him. He not only followed Christ, he became a disciple of Jesus. He wrote one of the books or helped collate the notes that went into Matthew. And then he became known as Matthew from Levi, gift of God. Can you only, if you just walk in his shoes for a second and imagine what that must have been like for him, a hated tax collector to be now known as gift of God. So powerful. The simply follow me message seems at face value when we read it in scripture as something that's really easy to do. And that Peter and Philip and um, all the others just got up They dropped their nets and walked off into the sunset with Jesus. But I really do think it involved a lot of sacrifice. It was an intentional decision, a choice, but it was also revolutionary. It was transformational in their own lives. And we only only need to read scripture later on to see the amazing transformation that not not only happened in them, but how God used them with everybody else. So what is this all of me? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. What is this all of me that Christ demands of us? I've been contemplating that this week. What is it that he wants or desires? It's, I think it's easy to some degree to say yes to Jesus. And we all have done that. The hard part is saying yes every day. Um, Saying yes when it's not easy, when that journey is hard, that's the part where it gets tricky. 
So I've just divided it into three things that came into my, my head. The first one is our head. It's our cognition. It's the part where we think and we process. Simple doesn't mean naive. I think it's a conscious decision we make. It's intelligent responses, informed responses, responses that come from understanding. It's being able to engage with each other and Christ. So when we, when we think with our heads, we say yes to Christ. But also it's saying yes for Christ. What does that look like? So I know I don't know everyone very well, really not well at all, um, let's be honest. <laughs> but I'm going to start getting to know you hopefully over the next little while. And so I hope you hear my heart when I'm sharing some of the things that God has been putting on my heart. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to all of you. You know, we can't know everything about everything, um, but we can choose to be informed about the things that we're passionate about, about the things that we're engaged in, about the areas that we serve in. We need to be more diligent and understanding to be able to listen and hear. We don't necessarily have to agree with each other or those out in the community, but we do need to learn to listen. We need to be helpful and not harmful. So what does this mean? We live in a complex, multifaceted world. How do we, how do we engage our minds, our head, with the whole idea of following Christ? Um, I wrote down a few things that came to my, to my mind as I was processing this. One of them was, which I think hits home at the moment, is Facebook. Um, everyone's on Facebook, or most people are. And I just reflect last year on an incident that happened. Um, remember when um, America had given the um, marriage equality, passed the marriage equality bill, and lots of people put up on their Facebook the um, rainbow profile picture or whatever it's called. Chris wrote on his Facebook post, Oh, look, a bandwagon. Now, he was not addressing the issue. At all. He, we were just noticing on our news feed that everyone had a rainbow, nearly. And a lot of people didn't even know why they were putting the rainbow on. They just were going with the flow. And he got absolutely hammered. We were in Swaziland and he got hammered. Friends and relatives called him homophobic. I can't believe you're a Christian and this is how you think. And they went on and on. And then people were that didn't even know us were of friends of friends. It was crazy. And we just sit, sat back and went, whoa, that was, where did all that come from? And it made me realise that sometimes we, we're really passionate as Christians, aren't we? And we, we tend to just say stuff to anyone. On Facebook, we feel like we can pretty much say anything. And no one really stopped to private message him and say, what actually do you believe? What do you think? Why did you say that? No one. And so I thought that was a really interesting process. And that happens through life. That sometimes we, we say things or do things to each other without fully engaging with each other. We come to a conclusion about someone by the way they dress, by the way they act, by what they do or don't do. And we form an opinion very quickly without even sometimes realising, without really engaging with people. One of the things I've learned um, over the years is to listen and to hear. Um, at Christmas time, my beautiful nephew 
if you imagine a table and we're at the we're at an, in a pergola and he was across from me and the whole family was around and we're all just having a chit chat and it came up something about government so we all know we shouldn't really talk about politics yeah, and religion especially at Christmas but it came up and we were talking about loopholes or something and he um, then went on to give me you know no offense to 22 year olds but he seems to think that he knew everything about everything and so he went on and on about how corrupt the government is and blah 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 and then what he did was went on to say what he believed so i quietly sat and listened and asked questions and then i tried to say what i believed but he had already formed an opinion over the years of knowing us about what we believed and every time i opened my mouth literally he shut me down. He, and I it ended up saying, Josh, I've listened to you. Can you give me a chance to talk? And he actually didn't. So that was the end of that. Um, but what I learned is like how important listening is. Because in that moment, I practiced the art of listening. It's not actually easy. We can talk about listening and hearing. But it actually is a skill that's to be developed. To actually hear without thinking about what you're going to say next to rebut or to bring your experience in. To actually stop and listen and take interest in people. And so I was practicing that skill in that moment because let me tell you, I wanted to just rip right at him. Um, but I kept it all squashed down. But equally, I was on the receiving end of not being heard. And that felt really uncomfortable as well. So I guess... When we're thinking about our head and following Christ, we need to engage our minds. The other thing that I was, I was reflecting on is how the Bereans in Scripture, they said, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily to see whether they, the things that they were told were so. I can say stuff to you or Matt or anyone but it's important that we actually reflect on that, to go home and actually search the scriptures. To um, If we're talking about, um, if you're learning about something at YWAM or wherever, to actually reflect back and go, is this, is this right? Um, when you're hearing something in the political arena through media, that's, that's a really good one. To actually be critical in our thinking. Let's be smart Christians and really engage and ask, is what we're being fed true? Before we form our opinions, it's so important. Um, the other thing is also when we are engaging our heads is to, to be skilled, to be purposeful about what we're doing. So if you are working in, with children in church, um, to actually learn a little bit about child development, find out what it is, how children learn. Are there resources that you can tap into? If you're in prayer ministry, you know, read books, research about those that have gone before us, that that's been their thing. Um, let's, let's be intelligent Christians that respond with intelligence and with heart, with heart too, but engaging our minds as well as the rest of our, our bodies. Um, if you're a muso or a singer, Chronicles tells us that all of them were trained and skilled in the music for the Lord. I guess it's close to my heart because Chris is a muso and I, I actually was as well. And so God gives us all talents and skills and giftings, whether it's music or not, but he wants us to hone those 
They're not to be taken for granted. They're a gift from God, a treasure. Um, and some of us have different ones. And we're, we're meant to, to really hone those skills. God's entrusted us with those. Just like you would think about your child, you're entrusted for a season to raise up your child in the ways of the Lord. In the same way, we're entrusted with skills and gifts and talents. And he wants us to hone those, to sharpen them, to be the best that we can be. We don't need to be perfect or an expert, but we do need to be the best that we can be. So for my experience, when I think about the head, um, for me, my journey, and I'm going to intertwine some of my journey, I'm nowhere near arrived at all. We're all on a journey and I'm still learning, but I guess when I was thinking about how do I follow Christ with my head, um, some of that practically how that's translated for me has been, in, you know, it's easy to go and do mission work overseas and um, go with a, an empathetic heart. Um, and that's fine. But really, I'm a white person going into a completely different culture. I'm not the saviour on a white horse. I'm going in as a guest into their um, into their culture and their country. So I need to be equipped and understand why they do what they do and how they think and not judge it but try to understand it first. So for me, a part of that process was actually doing my master's a few years ago in international and community development because I really wanted to make sure that Operation Hope would be helpful and not harmful, that we wouldn't be going into places that were vulnerable and insecure and do more harm than good. With We may have had good intentions, but that's not enough. We have to be intentionally intelligent. So a part of that process is learning to listen, as I've just said. This is um, how we meet in Swaziland, under a tree, usually, if you're lucky, um, because it's shady. And as you can see, men on one side on a rock or a higher place and the women on the floor to the right. Um, and, and that's how we discuss things. And so it's really important to be quiet and hear, to really listen to what the people are saying and where they want to go, what they want to do, and not to um, project where I think they should go or what I think they should do because contextually it's very different. So for me, engaging my head when I think about following Christ with my all, it's being really intentional about learning and about listening. I guess they're the two words when I think about my head that I have, um, I'm starting to really develop and hone. But that's not all. That's not all of us, is it? It's not just our head. And usually that's not the sexy stuff that people like to talk about because it doesn't feel nice talking about intellectual stuff. But it's really important. The next part that God wants us to give our all of is our heart. And I guess this is the part where Christians are most familiar with. This is the mushy stuff. Um, it's the carefree, unwavering trust of a child. It's that assurance, that simple faith that Christ asks us to have. In fact, he says, oh, it's that that trust picture that we often see, and for you, for you that are a parent, you can identify with this. How a child 
You know, children laugh loud, don't they? For those of you that are from the Southern Cross camp, they laugh out loud. They cry hard, like really hard. They run to things with excitement. They listen in awe. I remember when I had my childcare centre, I could say any story about anything, lies even, and they'd be like, like, wow, that's amazing. Um, I was at a 21st last night and one of my cousins was reflecting on this other kid who used to tell stories as a child and he called the child like a bit of a space cadet and I said, why are you saying that? And he said, because he used to tell me way out stories. Like, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, I went to the moon and I did this and I did that. So creative and so out there. And we love that about children, don't we? There is something about a child that we gravitate to. Not, I don't mean about, um, I know not everyone loves kids, but, um, but there's something about children that, um, there's something special about children. Their innocence, their exuberance for life. And then you've got Jesus telling us that whole idea of just jumping. Um, we foster some children in Swaziland and little Temeswadi will do this with Chris on a regular basis. One, two, three, jump. And she just jumps from any distance because she completely trusts Chris, knows that he'll catch her. So what does the Bible say? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. Powerful words. Why did Jesus always say, you know, bring the children to me? There was, there's something about a child. There's something about children's faith even. They don't tend to worry too much, do they? If you say something to them, they're like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, they might whinge and stuff, but they, they accept it. So how does this translate for us? How do we get our hearts this year into a place where we're like a child, completely open, completely vulnerable, but where we can laugh loud and enjoy each other, where we can cry hard like we did this morning, where we can just run to Jesus when we need him with arms open wide and not be shy, knowing that he has got it. What do I need to feel, to see, to experience? For me, despite seeing poverty... every day in Swaziland and Sri Lanka, the part that I've been really challenged in is actually keeping my heart soft. The first year, I remember the first few weeks, Chris and I would come home, we would lie on our bed and not talk. We felt so overwhelmed by what we would see, like you guys that are identifying with the children from the Southern Cross camp. It's overwhelming to know that people hurt that deeply and are troubled so at such a raw state. And the first year was horrible because every, every day was a day of challenge and my heart being pulled apart and not knowing what to do and not being wanting to be a rescuer but wanting to rescue. But then it was the second year and then it was the third year and this year's the seventh year. And do you know what has been the challenge is maintaining that first year's experience because now poverty has become really normal for me. I see it all the time. 
And what has been my struggle is keeping my heart soft, constantly reminding myself one life and looking at that person. So looking at that gogo or grandma at the top who had no food that day and we had some apples in the car and we gave it to her. She had no teeth and she was like trying to suck on the apple to get its nutrients and spending time with just her in that moment. It's spending time with the children playing and joking and bringing some joy like with the camp into their life. It's speaking to the mums and encouraging them that they're doing a good job despite their circumstances. It's whatever it is for each family and not doing cookie-cutter approaches because it worked here, we'll, move, we'll do that there. Looking at individual families and working out what is it that this family needs and what is it that I can bring. That has been my challenge to keep my heart soft on a daily basis, realising that Jesus sees them. So therefore, I'm here. I am the hands and feet for that moment. And then I guess on my home territory here for me, also it's been, um, I have a lot of refugee students at Dandenong that I teach. And it's easy as a teacher, you know, you've got your time. I only get paid for my hours I teach and I don't get overtime or anything. So it's like four o'clock, okay, all of you go. Um, But, you know, they're struggling and it's seeing individual lives one at a time. It's seeing that, that, that mother who was an engineer in Afghanistan that's doing a certificate three with me and having her phone and translating every second word I say to try and understand, no matter how simple I make it. It's making time for her at the end of the class, even though I don't want to, and well, not that I don't want to, but that, you know, I'm tired too, um, to actually say every person matters. She counts because she's struggling. So it's spending time with her and hearing her and engaging with her and helping her. That's, that's what engaging your heart for me is about. It's seeing individual people, not the whole, and being able to connect on a deeper level with people. And then last but certainly not least, and the clicker doesn't want to work. Ah, that was just some more pictures. Oh, look at Chris with Mega. Is our hands. And again, hands is something that we think about as a Christian, that we, we know we're the hands and feet of Jesus. But what does that mean? How do we translate that into action? Do we walk the talk? Follow me. Come, Jesus said. It's an action word. It's with our whole life. It's not just with our head knowledge, but it's moving with intelligent compassion. Jesus said, or James said, (laughs) what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Which is pretty, that's a pretty powerful statement as well. So for me, I guess, 
our journey, when I think about head, heart and hands, it's been, it's been pretty tough in regards to making those choices. You know, when I come back from Swaziland, people often say, oh, how was your holiday? And I honestly, I want to punch them in the head <laughs> because we don't have a holiday at all. We might have a couple of weekends away, but it, it's not a holiday. And um, it's very frustrating. And often, the, most times, we don't actually tell people I guess, our experience um, for many reasons, but unless they really want to know, which I guess comes to the listening part, um, because it's really deep. I'm being really vulnerable with you now as a church. But what we see and feel and experience is really deep. Those of you that are on Southern Cross Kids Camp and Ships Camps would understand from that week, that raw emotion that you feel um, after soaking for four to six months in that, it is raw and deep. And I don't want to say to you, how was, how was Swaziland? And you want me to answer, oh, it was good. And most times I just say that. Because unless you really want to know, I'm not going to tell you. Because it's so raw and so deep. Because no, no, one, no one fully understands that, you know, things don't always go right. It People see, you know, on Facebook, if you post pictures or you send emails, the glorified picture of what it potentially looks like. But they don't see that, you know, we have a snake in our house or frogs or um, bats, um, things that I really hate and I have to deal with. Um, and an illness, like every year, something has gone wrong for us. And it's easy for me to spiritualize that and say, oh, that's God telling us we don't, we don't need to be there anymore. Because, you know, Chris has had tick bite fever and cut open his arm. And when you're in a rural country that has really bad medical service, it's all really scary. Last year I broke my ankle. And just trying to find places you can go to for good healing and the right advice is really tricky. Um, but the call is so much greater. So much greater. You know, when we go back to the start of the tax collector, I know who I am. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Way from it. Way, and Chris will attest to it. Um, there's a lot that God is still doing in all of us. But he still calls us, which is the most amazing thing. He chooses to call the tax collector, not the Pharisee. He chooses to call Matthew, Peter, the Samaritan woman, the man, the, the lady at the well, the prostitute, those on the fringes, he calls them. Not that he doesn't call the others as well. He calls everybody. But he chooses to work with the broken and those that are, feel like they're not worthy, which is all of us. So simply following Christ really is not simple, is it? We can think it looks a little bit like this. And we go with Christ into the sunset. Jesus says, follow me, and off we go, and it's beautiful. But the reality is that. It's really tough. There's mud to go through. It's hard. It's bumpy. There are occasions where it is smooth. But generally, we're living in a fallen, broken world, and it's not smooth sailing at all. The path is narrow. We live in a kingdom of, of God that is completely upside down. 
It's, it's counterintuitive to what the world says. It's countercultural. It's not, indiv- it's not individualistic. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He wants us to love ourselves for sure. We all put food in our bellies and wear clothes and wash. So we do love ourselves. We're looking after ourselves. But equally, he says, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. God's kingdom is not an individual kingdom. It's looking out for each other. It's turning the other cheek. It's giving the man your coat. The last shall be first. It's not materialistic. You know, God says, why are you worrying? Don't the um, lilies of the field, look at them. Not a worry at all. Don't worry. Don't store up treasure on this earth where moth destroy. Store up treasure in heaven. It goes against that you have to own your own home and your own land and you need the latest car and you need those skinny jeans and you need, 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 need. Do we really need? This year, could we look at ourselves and reflect on that? I know so many people that, are, that do radical things like choose to not buy anything for a year and just try and see what that is like and use that money for something else. Um, people that decide to live on a dollar a day for a month to feel what it feels like for someone who that is their reality. Choices that we can make that help us align our hearts with our brothers and sisters. We are the minority world. The majority world do not live like we do. The world is wasteful. This part gets me the most. But God has told us to be stewards of this earth. I don't know when Jesus will come and I don't know what the new heaven and new earth will look like. But if he decides to use this current earth to transform it, We need to be looking after it. And even if he doesn't, we still need to be looking after it. We're very quick as Christians to praise, look at the beautiful waterfalls and the trees and the flowers. But we need to look after all that stuff. So it's important that we actually look after the planet, to care for it, to be caretakers for Christ. He's given it to us as a gift. Life is rich. There's freedom. There's life with Christ. But Jesus says, follow me. Where he needs us to demonstrate his love intelligently, but also compassionately. It needs to be our whole life. Not just the areas we choose, but our head, our heart and our hands. Our body, our mind and our soul. It needs to impact our family, our life. We need to be authentic, real. We need to be vulnerable with each other. Simply follow me. There is the person of Jesus and the path. So in 2017 this year, what is following Jesus with your whole life going to look like? Um, I'm not one for making New Year's resolutions because most of the time they don't work, do they? But it's a great time at the start of the year to reflect. For those of you that have come off a high and maybe sometimes a little bit of a low too off the camp, I would say to you to take 
that vigor, that enthusiasm, that heart that God has done something in you and reflect on what does that mean for the year, not just for that week or next week, but for, for the rest of this year, for you. For those of you that are at work, you know, what does that look like for you, your relationships in life, the relationships we have here at church? What life-transforming, intentional, revolutionary choices can we make this year? How will you choose to engage your head, your heart, and your hands? Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for the privilege it is to serve you. I thank you for Jesus who has shown us the way. I thank you that you call us broken vessels to journey with you in making a difference on this planet. I thank you that you've given us our minds and our hearts and hands and feet, that we can engage our whole being, Lord, to love and serve you. I pray for the family of Catalyst, Lord, that this year would be a year of transformation, a year of revolution in our heart, that we would truly learn what it is that you're calling us to, as individual people, Lord, but also as a family. That you would put your finger on areas that you want us to grow and develop in. That our ears would be attuned to hear and our eyes to see. That we would be willing to listen and to hear each other. To engage with the world around us in such a way that would be so attractional to the people that we minister to. Be with us as we journey this year. Strengthen us and help us to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.